We asked the question that started it all. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Find out right now on John Not Quite Calvin. Hello, welcome back to John Not Quite Calvin. I am your host, John Not Quite Calvin. You may have forgotten me, you may have moved on from me, but I have not moved on from you. I am still alive, I have not died. Things have been crazy in my life, if I'm just being honest. There's been a lot that has gone on, and those of you who know what's been going on, I appreciate your support, I appreciate your prayers, and I appreciate your time. For those of you who do not know, At some point, I may release that information, but for now, I just ask for you to pray for me and for wisdom in dealing with some of the stuff that's been going on, clarity and stuff that's been going on. But I also ask for strength to persevere through this difficult time. I am thankful for you guys for coming on and taking the time to listen to this podcast and read the blog posts. I know that recently I've been releasing a lot of book reviews. I continue to read, even despite some of the challenges that have been going on. I haven't really been feeling very right in recording new content, creating new content, and diving deep into some of these more crazy ideas. And media and things like that. Uh, I've been taking quite a bit of time for myself. But the thing is that I think that this topic is extremely important. And I've missed being able to take the time to dive in to something theological, to something that's God honoring, and to something that is just important, I think, in this day and age. If you do not know, this is a re-release, a re-recording of the very first podcast that we released by the same name, Can a Christian Lose Their Salvation? It was the first podcast that I put out, well, over two years ago. And it's crazy to think about everything that's happened in the last two, three years. And the things that have changed, the tremendous blessings that God has shown and some of the tremendous hurt and pain that we've experienced and been able to get through together. This is a very important topic. It's a very critical topic. It's a crucial topic. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Is it possible for somebody who was once a Christian to forsake the faith and leave? And I want to say that even though Joshua Harris, who was originally one of the reasons behind the first podcast, continues to claim that he's not a Christian and no longer of the faith, uh, and he may be no longer the top news story, his impact and the movement that he was a part of has only grown in the United States. I'm talking deconstruction. There are a lot of people who are going and saying that 
they had a faith. It was a very important faith to them. And they simply left. They've moved away. They've moved on. They have found bigger and better things. This continues to be something that is taking over our culture. It is something that is starting to impact our popular churches. It is something that is going to continue to impact our churches, I think, in the recent, in the coming years. And the very question begins with, can a Christian lose their salvation? These people were once genuine followers. These people appeared to be the top, the cream, the creme de la creme, the most faithful and influential believers, pastors. But now they claim to be either enemies of the gospel, have forsaken the true gospel message, or say that they have, they've matured beyond the faith. I can say a lot about if a Christian can lose their salvation or not, but let's actually see what God has to say specifically about this. I begin with one of the Calvinists' favorite passages, and it should be one of the greatest and most favorite passage of every Christian, if I'm being honest. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29, that reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This passage is known as the golden chain of salvation. And this golden chain begins before the foundations of the world in eternity past. And it continues on until the end of all creation. And what we see here is that God foreknows and predestines those whom he would save. And that he predestines and he calls them and he justifies them and he will glorify them. There is no breaking this chain. There is nothing that gets in the way of this chain. There is no force on earth that's strong enough to destroy this chain. I want to also consider 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 through, 20, through 13. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Zoom in on verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Back to verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. It is something that's in your possession. It's something that is yours. It's something that's been given to you. John chapter 5, verse 24, the gospel of John, not 1 John, not 2 John, 3 John, the gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There has been a change, a definite change. Paul would describe it as the old man perishing, and the new creation, the new man, 
coming into being. There has been a supernatural change that occurs when somebody is saved. This isn't something that is just a personal choice or a personal decision. This isn't just something that you do. This is something that God does. There is a huge, massive shift from death to life. When you are saved, you are made as part of the body of Christ. You have been brought from death to life. You have been woven into the tree of life. You've been written in to the Lamb's book of life. This is God's salvation. This is not man's personal choice. This isn't man's free will. This isn't something that people are doing. And it's just a regular everyday occurrence. This is something of God. Consider this as well. We are part of the body of Christ. Let's say that we're looking at a hand. Just take a look at your hand. And then take a look at your index finger. As part of the body of Christ, you are just as much a body of... You're just as much a member of the body of Christ as your finger is to your body. Just as much. There are things that can happen to your hand. There are things that can happen to your fingers. If your one finger goes contrary to the rest of your hand and bends the wrong way, it can be bruised, it can be broken, it can be sprained, it can be hurt, but it remains as part of your hand. A finger does not just randomly decide one day to become not a finger and leave the rest of your hand. It does not go away for 20 years and then decide to come back one day and it's just as, and it's integrated once again into the body. Your finger does not do that. It's not in the nature of a finger to do that. If it was in the nature of your, <laughs> of your body for your finger to just fly off and run around and then come back randomly, you have a serious problem. Now, some of you may look at that and just be like, well, something can cut your finger off. Plenty of people have lost limbs, have lost fingers because of some force. That's because there was a force that was greater than your skin, your bone, and your muscle. But when you're part of the body of Christ, in order for something to destroy or to remove you from the body of Christ, it must be more powerful and greater than God himself. But we know the answer, if there is such a thing, from Romans chapter 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38 through 39. There is nothing, nothing, nothing in all of creation that can separate you from Christ. There is not a single thing. There is no magical knife that can sever you from the body of Christ. Salvation is something that is secure. It is something that we need to depend upon. Now, 
there are dangers to both sides of the issue. In the idea that you can lose your salvation, there's the danger of fear in believers. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, anybody can lose their salvation. You're just creating fear in the rest of the believers. How am I supposed to know that I'm saved? How am I supposed to know that I'm still saved? What can I do to ensure that I continue to be saved? Or was I saved one day, but then the day that I die, I'm no longer saved for some reason. It creates fear. In the idea that we can lose our salvation, it gives into the idea of consumerism in the church. Well, if I go to church, I'm saved. If I just go to church and I pick a church that I like and I believe what the church says, I'll be fine. So I need to just find a church that believes what I believe, says what I want it to say, does what I want it to do. Then I'll be fine. I'll remain there. I'll continue to be saved. It gives into the idea of consumerism. If you can lose your salvation and the only hope of and your only hope of salvation is the church going to church it only breeds more and more consumerism in the church in the idea that you can lose your salvation there is now distrust in God and Christ and what they have to say elsewhere think about it i gave you a number of verses I can give you more verses. There are lots and lots of verses in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament there are a few, that talk about how God saves to the utmost, how God does what he says he's going to do, and that he is going to save those whom he will save. He will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, that those who come to him have eternal life, that those who believe in his name shall be saved on the last day. That All of those that the Father gave Christ, he did not lose a single one. And they continue to remain firm in his hand. If we believe that you can lose your salvation, there are so many verses that say the contrary. How am I supposed to trust anything else that has to be said? Also, if God can, if I can lose my salvation, if my salvation is not secured by God and affirmed by God and Christ. How am I supposed to trust anything that they have to say? Thus, we end up with deconstruction. The idea of deconstruction in the church continues to breed because people have been, have been brought up to believe that you can lose your salvation, that it's perfectly possible that these people were Christians and they are no longer Christians even though that's not the case. On the other hand, with the assurity of salvation, we need to remember that doesn't give us a license to sin. It doesn't continue to give us a license to live however we please and however we want. We must remember that. Yes, our salvation is secured and it's secured by God. But we must remember that it does not give us a license to sin and to live in a way that is dishonoring to God. Now, when somebody leaves, and people do leave, we need to remember that things that these things have been talked about. They've been brought up. They've been described in the scriptures. Consider the warning in Matthew 7, verse 21 through Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There will be people in the church who believe that they are genuine, bona fide believers who were not a part of the body of Christ. We need to consider that warning. The other thing is, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 talks directly about people who were once a part of the church and left. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Consider the parable of the sower, the second set of seeds, or the third set of seeds. If you don't remember, there's four sets of seeds that get thrown thrown in the parable of the sower. The first seed hits the rocky road, and they're immediately picked up by the bird and taken away. The second one goes onto the rocky ground, and it springs up, and a plant springs up right away, but there's no root. It dries out very quickly, and then it's blown away in the wind. Another one is cast into weeds, and as it grows up, the weeds begin to grow up around it, and they choke it out, and it dies and perishes. And then the fourth is in the good soil, where it rises up, and it continues to bear fruit a hundredfold. Now we remember when Christ describes this, the seed is the word of God. When a plant comes in, it's those who have heard the word of God and accepted it to be true. The second and third set of seeds, however, the first set of seeds, they don't have any sustenance. They don't have any root. They don't have any substance. And as a result, when the heat drives down, they dry up, wither, and die. And the heat being just persecution, things that happen within the world. They dry up, they wither away, they die. And they go and they no longer are a plant. Then you have the third set planted with weeds. And the weeds grow up with the plant and the weeds eventually choke out, take all the nutrients from the plant and the plant withers and dies. These are the people who get caught up with the cares of, of this world, like Demas, another biblical example of somebody who claimed to be a Christian, who people genuinely thought was a believer, who was with the church and was doing amazing things in the church to the point where Paul commended him in one of his letters. But Demas left the church and he forsook Paul and he forsook the gospel and he fell in love with the world. Friends, we need to remember that there will be people who rise up who are not believers, who went to the church, who were influential in our lives, who may have done amazing things, we believe, for the kingdom, but were never actually truly among us. And as a result, they wither and pass away and go out from among us. But we have a surety that when we are saved, there is a genuine heart change. 
we no longer crave the things of this world. We crave Christ. If we are pursuing the truth, if we are pursuing God, and if we are loving God with all of our heart and we believe what he says and we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. That is what God has said. And does that mean that we don't have doubts? Does that mean that we don't wrestle with our own thoughts? No. Those things will happen. There will come times of immense doubt and immense pain in our lives. But the answer of, was I ever truly a Christian, comes in your response. Is your response to immediately forsake God and go out into the world and seek your best life and everything that you possibly can from the world? Or is it to look to God and say, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. When you have doubts and when you're in pain and when you're in in trouble, do you turn to the world or do you turn to Christ? That's the biggest difference. That's the big thing that truly points to if you are actually a believer or not. What's your response to persecution? What's your response to doubt? What's your response to pain? Is it to look to the things of the world? To find ways to get around God? To find ways to disprove that God exists so that I don't have to worry about the guilt in my heart? Is it finding refuge in things that cannot satisfy the things of this world? Women? Men? Sex? idolatry, money, a job? Is your answer the things of this world or is your answer to look to Christ? Is your answer to drop to your knees and cry out to God, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Lord, I'm struggling, hear my cry, hear hear my complaint. Do we respond as David did? Cry out to God in our pain and our suffering and our isolation. Do we respond like Paul, who had been shipwrecked, who had been stoned, who had been persecuted, and he found his strength not in the world, not in his own strength, but in Christ? When we're going through these difficult times, who are you looking to? If you really have a doubt on if you're a Christian or not, who are you looking to? If you are backsliding, remember Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We will continue to backslide, friends. We will continue to sin. We will continue to have struggles. But that does not give us an excuse to give in to these temptations. But rather, we take comfort in the fact that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Remember 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. I just quoted chapter 9, <laughs> or verse 9, not chapter 9. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Consider also the struggle of Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 25. For I do not know my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We will back, We will backslide. We will have trouble and we will have pain in this world. We will have doubts. We will have struggles. If we are truly Christians, and we are out there true Christians, then we will make it through to the other end. God will see his good work to completion. If we were not believers, then we will turn away from him and we will forsake the very God who promised that he would bring his believers out of their trials and into the everlasting kingdom. Why is this thinking so common? The answer is, pull out of my cage for a second, Armenianism. If you think about it, really gives into this idea quite a bit. If I chose God, there's no reason I can't not and unchoose God. It's the common belief of our culture that if you choose God. It's so common, in fact, that to go contrary to it and to actually read the scriptures, <clears throat> uh, you would end up being called a heretic. The thinking of people can lose their salvation is so common because people believe they can gain their salvation by their own choice, their own volition and their own will. If I can gain my own salvation through my own choice and through my act of faith, then I can, I can just as easily lose it. How do we combat this idea? Friends, we have to read the scriptures. We have to get into the scriptures. The scriptures over and over again talk about how we will not lose our salvation. How God has, as the author of salvation, brought about so that we will see through to the end. We combat this by giving assurance to our friends who are struggling. We combat this by pointing back to Christ in all circumstances. We combat this with faith, not skepticism, not our own minds, not our own works, not our own efforts, but faith. I want to leave you with this. 
And I want us to remember this. Romans chapter 8, 38 through 39. I already quoted it, but I want to quote it again. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that. There is nothing in all of this world, in all of creation, that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we are going through pain and struggles, when we are going through trying times, let us look to God and not ourselves, not even our fellow man, necessarily. Let us seek encouragement, but let us, first and foremost, seek our Lord of salvation. So I leave you with that. Can a Christian lose their salvation? No. A true Christian will never lose their salvation. A true Christian will never walk out on the faith. But be aware, there are people who claim to be Christians who are not. It's up to us to be discerning. Not necessarily to root them out, but when people leave and they forsake the faith, as painful as it is, we must remember that these things will happen. These things have been told to happen. Read your scriptures. Have faith in God. Help your fellow believers. Pray for them. Read with them. Be with them. Encourage them. I'll leave you with that. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.